0: Father, thank you for the reality that I am yours and you are mine. God, and it is the season of Advent. It's a time for us to, to pray and to focus and reflect and all of those things, God. And I pray that as we do that, just as Connie said, that we would have our eyes fixed on you. There are so many things that happen during this time of the year, God, that distract us from the main thing that we're supposed to be focused on, and that is you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, in the coming weeks, As the distractions come against us, as a thousand different things are bombarding our minds, I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. God, we do so desperately need you every day in our life, but right now, as we come into the Christmas season, God, we remember. We remember how you came to earth as a human being. God, you came and approached us. Every other religion in the world says that we're supposed to get to you, but instead, in our faith and what we know to be true, God, we know that you came to us. So God, I pray that we remember that, that that's the reason we rejoice, that's the reason we celebrate. God, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. We do so love you. God, I pray that as your word, God, is brought to your people, I pray that it opens their eyes, I pray that it opens their hearts, reassures them, encourages them. God, shows them how much they are loved. God, this is truly a love letter to all of us, and we say thank you. So right now, may our eyes be fixed on you as we look at your word, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so it's getting close to Christmas time. It means you go visit family, right? A lot of you go visit family, people that live far off sometimes, right? People that live a few hours away, several hours away, maybe on the other side of the United States, maybe another country. You go to visit other people, right? And um, a lot of times we go to visit grandparents. Does anybody... Uh, Does anybody visit their grandparents uh, around Christmas time? Okay, I'm the only one. All right, that's fine. Apparently, you don't like your grandparents. You never went to visit them at Christmas time. Okay, that's fine. We got a weird crowd here tonight. So anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sherry. It's me and you that go to visit grandparents around the holidays. That's good. Uh, So (laughs) anyway, uh, I remember distinctly going to visit my grandparents. Now, uh, thankfully, my parents aren't here tonight, so I can talk openly about it. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, it, I really remember my dad's parents a lot better because my, my mom's parents, they passed away when I was a lot younger, but my dad's parents in particular, we always went to visit them around Christmas time. And they lived in North Tennessee, like Kingsport, Tennessee. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's just above Knoxville, you know, not too far from Gatlinburg. Anyway, it's way up there in the corner, right? So I can remember as, as a kid always having to go, I say having to. It was a joy to go to my grandparents' house up in North Tennessee every single Christmas time. Uh, it took like seventy-five hours to get there in the car. I remember, I remember that distinctly. And I would, I would stare out the window. We'd be listening to Christmas songs on the radio. Uh, you know, what's the Alabama song? What y'all know? Christmas in Dixie. Yes, thank you. I, for whatever reason, that song. When I think about that song, I remember my head being. Fixed on the on the glass, just my eyes being fixed on the glass, looking outside and thinking, "We'll never get to Kingsport, Tennessee. It will never happen. We will keep riding in this car till the end of eternity, and and we'll just never get there." Right. So I remember that and Dick, Christmas and Dixie be playing like seventy five times since you know since we started our adventure. So anyway, we'd finally get there, and I knew what was coming when we got to my grandparents' house. Uh, my grandparents lived kind of. I, just more of a simple, relaxed life, you know, as most grandparents do. You know, they're not out, you know, going to dance clubs and stuff. I mean, you know, some of them do. I mean, I know that some people that are eighty-five years old take dance lessons. But anyway, my my grandparents are more stay-at-home, homebody kind of people, right? And and they're just and we we would we didn't really go out to eat a lot. We just kind of stayed around the house. And I swear to you that when we got to my grandparents' house, we stayed there for six months. It was if. It it felt like eternity. I mean, they they had a dartboard in the basement, and I could only throw darts for so many hours. You know what I mean? Like, there are only so many hours in a day that you can throw darts. I was a dart master by the time I left there. But, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do next? And and I couldn't wait till like, three days into the trip, and then we were going to we were going to go look at Christmas lights at night. That was how we were going to get out. And every once in a while, we'd go out to eat Mexican food. And I was like, praise the Lord, there's Mexican food. You know, anyway, so I'm kind of, I, I'm, you know, even as a young child, I was more of a, you know, get out there and do stuff kind of person. Not really a homebody so much. Man, it, it killed me when I went to my grandparents' house. And I just, I just sat there, you know, It's like, and they would break out the picture album. You know what I'm talking about? You got to go through the picture every year. Same picture album we saw last year. Let's flip through it again. Let's look at it again. You know what I mean? Oh, you remember this? Yeah, I sure do because we talked about it last year. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I certainly do. And, you know, and, and my grand grandparents' house. I don't mean this in a bad way. Look, I really don't. It's going to sound bad, so I'm prefacing what I'm going to say by saying it's going to sound bad. But every grandparents' house, no matter whose grandparents it is or where it is. It could can, it can be anywhere in the world. It could be in China. It, it could be it can be in northern Tennessee. You know, it, it could be in Alaska. Every grandparent has a unique smell to their house. Am I right? <laughs> you knew that I was going to say that? Yeah. Every grandparent's house has a unique smell. And you can't replicate that smell anywhere else in the world. Am I right about that? Like, yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, my grandparent's house had a unique smell. And and every once in a while, still to this day, every once in a while, I'll walk past somebody or something, and I'll get a whiff of that, and i go, that's Grandma's house. You know what I mean? Like, I know that smell. You know what I mean? Like, it's a very distinct, unique smell. And, and it's not like every, every grandparent has the same smell because my other grandparents had a different smell in their house. And it was completely unique, different than anything else I've ever smelled in my life. You know what I mean? Like, every grandparent, I don't know what that is. It, it makes me wonder... When I get old one day and I have grandkids, am I going to have a unique smell? I am aren't I? I'm going to have a unique smell it It was yeah, I, I don't know. it was a weird mix between like mothballs and menthol or something. you know what I mean, it's like i I don't know what it was, but it was just it' was just weird, you know, but anyway, so um and, and but what's so crazy is, you know, my grandparents have passed away now, um they lived. To be to be in their 90s, my grandfather lived to be 100 years old, and um, I, I mean, I, I and I, every Christmas time, right now, this time of year, I'll hear Christmas and Dixie play on the radio, and I think, man, I wish I could go back to North Tennessee and just sit there and you know look at the picture albums and that kind of stuff, and uh, not do anything and just hang out, and uh, I would give anything to be able to go back and smell that smell one more time, you know. Uh, it's just whatever it is about Christmas time, it makes you reflect, it makes you remember, it makes you think back and, and miss people that maybe were close by. And and, and one of the things it helps me to do when I think about that is it helps me to understand, and, and I didn't realize this as a kid, but I realize it now looking back, it helped me kind of understand why I am the way that I am. You know, especially when you look at your grandparents and, and you see kind of the way they are, and then you can see yourself heading that direction. You know what I mean? Like Like... You start to look and you see some things that you say or some way that you act. And you think, man, I'm going to have a unique smell one day. And I'm going to have the same picture album in my house. And like, you know, like you start to see that you're gravitating to be just like them one day, you know. And you can kind of see that coming. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to reflect on where we came from, who we are. And I think sometimes as Christians, we don't do that enough. Um, I think that sometimes we neglect just pausing for a minute reflecting on kind of where we came from, who is our identity in Christ, and, and, then, and then to see where are we supposed to go from here? What, what are we supposed to do with us reflecting and seeing who we are in Christ Jesus? Where are we supposed to go from here? What are we supposed to do with this person that God has created us to be? We have to understand that we're a new creation in Christ. Therefore, we have a, a new purpose, a new plan for every single thing that's going to happen. So let's, let's look at where God has created us to be and where he's pointing us to go. And and I think as we look at um, as we look at Peter talking to he's talking to a bunch of churches in, in Asia Minor, um, Pontus, Galatia, Asia, um, uh, Bithynia, Cappadocia. He's talking to these churches, right? And they're in Asia Minor, and he's he's uh, he's just trying to remind them of who they are in Christ Jesus. And what we talked about last week, Keith was talking about. He said, you know, we we, we find our hope in. in in eternity. Well we find our hope in Jesus Christ. That's where we find our hope. And he was talking about finding our hope. And and I think that's a a, a critical thing for us to remember is that's where we find our hope. And that's where we find our identity. And and as Peter goes on he's talking, these churches you got to understand are under a lot of persecution. I mean like they're in a place where they're just foreigners to everybody because they act different, they're behaving different, they've got a different belief system, they're doing just everything different. So, you know, anytime that somebody's different in a, in a group, that they're going to point them out and, and make them feel bad in some way. You know, if you don't, mind, if you don't mean to or not, that's what's naturally going to happen, is that you just feel, if you're the weirdo in the group, you feel like the weirdo, right? And that's just naturally what's going to happen. And these people started to, to really persecute them where they were. And, and Peter's trying to encourage them, look, you're going to go through trials. That's what's going to happen. But you've got to understand that these trials are, are doing a work in you, and you've got to understand that. And, and tonight I'm not going to talk to you so much about the trials because I know that we talk, that, talk about that a whole lot. But tonight I want to talk about, you know, our identity and who we find ourselves to be in Christ Jesus and, and who we really are. And in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, which is where we're going to be tonight, we're actually going to start in about verse 4. Where he talks about us being living stones for God's house. Now you, you, you probably got that little subtitle in there, Living Stones for God's House. Now, it's an oxymoron to say living stones, right? Because stones don't really live. They don't do anything. They don't breathe. They don't move. They don't do anything. They're just there, right? Well, he says living stones. So us as Christians, as people in the faith, we are living stones and we're a part of something, okay? So we're going to talk about what we're a part of uh, and, and, and what everything kind of wraps around. We're going to talk about that. And I think that you'll see pretty quickly that it all boils down to wrapping around Jesus. That he is what's called the cornerstone in this passage. So he, he's, he's the main point from which everything else is built. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And we're going to just be taking a moment to remember who we are and remember what God has called us to do. In verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So here we see the very first thing. He says that, that he is the cornerstone in God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Now, we're going to start talk by talking about the cornerstone. So if you're building a building in this day and time, and you've got other stones that you've got to lay, you know that the cornerstone is the most important stone because it's what lines everything up. If your corners are jacked up, the whole building's going to be jacked up. Am I right about that, Brian? Like, you, if your corners are messed up, it's just—it's not good for the whole building. So, what he's saying here is that, that Christ is supposed to be the foundational stone, the place where everything gets lined up in according to Him. He's like our guideline, our marker. This is where we start. This is our beginning. That that Christ is that cornerstone. You know what's interesting to me is that I think we lose sight of this some, don't you? Don't, you, don't, don't, don't we lose sight of, I mean, I know that as Christians, uh, we, we come in here on Sundays and Wednesdays and, and like we get refocused and all of that and, and like that's, that's good that we get to come in here and do that. And I love that about church and I love that about God's word and we, we need to tune in and get connected with God. And, but man, on Tuesday and on Monday, I forget that he's the cornerstone, don't you? Like I'm at work and, and people are bombarding me with a thousand questions and I want to strangle them, you know what I mean? Like, it, like you cannot ask me another question, right? i I've questioned out for the day, you know, I mean like uh, the whole I'm done adulting kind of t-shirt, you know It's like it's like I, I look it's I know it's only two o'clock But there can be no more questions today. There there's been enough, okay And I go well, that's not exactly how how i'm supposed to line up with jesus if he's the cornerstone of my life I'm supposed to have grace and i'm supposed to be Peaceable with people and i'm supposed to reflect the image of god and and he's the cornerstone so I have to get like my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. No, I'm just teasing. You can come ask me another question. Just give me about 10 minutes, you know what I mean? So, and, and, and we do that, right? So we forget sometimes that Christ is the cornerstone, especially when we're bombarded by hard times. And, and, and you know, we don't endure a lot of persecution, but we feel like we endure a lot of persecution. We endure a lot of trials and difficult times for sure. And that's when we forget that Christ is the cornerstone. But here, Peter's just reminding these churches, look, Christ is the cornerstone. He says he was rejected by people. Now, now, we know that a majority of people that was in Christ's day rejected him. The main thing that they rejected is the fact that he was God. They rejected the fact that, that he was God incarnate, that he was living, breathing God, that he was brought down to the earth, and it says he was chosen. Look at what it says. It says he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Now, we, <laughs> we see this as great honor now, right, because, because he was resurrected, and we know that he sits at the right hand of the Father now, that he was chosen for that purpose to, to have great honor. But if you look at what Christ went through, when he was going through it, it didn't look like great honor, did he? I mean, yes, he would put his hands on people and heal people and blind people be able to see and lame people able to walk, and, and that was an amazing thing for Christ to be able to do. But most of the people, they said, you know, I don't know how he's doing that, but I mean, some people would go, that's a good trick. Can I do that? Can I do that same trick? How do, how do you do that? Or some people would say, you know, the reason he's got that power is because he's from Satan. That's the reason he's got that power. And some people would reject him altogether. Most of the people that came around, Jesus, I mean, he just they just didn't like him after a while. They may have liked him for a period of time, and then he would challenge him with something, and they'd go off. They'd say, I, that's just too much for me, dude. You, you're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. That's just too much. I'm gone, man. i, I I'm out of here. I don't, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, you know? For the most part, Jesus was rejected. And I think what Paul's trying to drive home to these people is, look, man, if you're a Christ follower, for the most part, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be rejected. You're, just, you're not going to be accepted the way everybody else is accepted. And, and, and he's just kind of pointing that out. Now, we'll read in just a second how he says you're foreigners and, and you're different, you know? And, and he says right here, though, that... that That Christ was rejected. He says, but, but God chose him for great honor. Now, I think he's he's telling them to stop for a minute. Reflect for just a minute. Think about you as a Christ follower. Rejected, but chosen for great honor. Just like Jesus was rejected, but chosen for great honor. He's trying to make a, a connection here, I believe. He's trying to show rejected, yes. It feels bad, yes. It hurts, yes. But chosen by God for great honor. That uh, It is a great honor to be a Christ follower. It is. Look, now, most of the days I mess it all up and, I, and I'm like, I feel like I'm a Christ follower this tall. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't do anything good. There's nothing good. I just like, like there's no way God could love me because of who I am and the things that I do. Look, I, I feel that way. I feel you. But this word tells me that God has chosen me for great honor. Just like Christ was chosen for great honor, I think, I think Peter's trying to draw a correlation here. He says, chosen for great honor. Now, we're going to see in a few verses down where he talks about you are, cho- you are God's chosen people. That's the reason I think he's drawing this connection here. He's talking about Jesus being chosen, and then he talks about us being chosen. And I think he's trying to draw a connection here. He's trying to connect the dots for us. Chosen for great honor. You are living stones that God is building In his spiritual temple. Now, God's building a temple. This this is an interesting concept, right? That we are part of God's temple. That God is is building this temple. That we are a a very integral part of what God is doing. The work that God is doing. We're part of that. That's an important thing for us to remember sometimes. Because I think we forget that a lot too. that, 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 you know what? God doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to. And we're a brick in the wall, right? Like, like that's who we are. We're a brick in the wall. And God is using us in order to be able to build his temple. And, and what does the temple do? What, what does the temple do? It, it, it reflects God's glory, right? It's, it's the dwelling place of God. A temple is, is in the Old Testament in particular, is the, the dwelling place of God, being in the very presence of God, is where the temple was. And here God is building this temple, and now we're part of this temple that God is building. Wow. You know, like I say, when I feel like this big, you know, I read stuff like this, and I'm like, golly, as messed up, as jacked up as I am, and as many dumb things as I do throughout the day, I'm part of what God is doing. I'm part of the work that he is doing. That's hard for me to imagine. He doubles down on this a little bit. And he goes on to say, what's more... I mean, I'm fixing to double down on this. You know what I mean? Like, okay. What's more, you are his holy priest. What, dude? <laughs> me? You know how messed up I am? Do you know how angry I got on Monday when I was at work? I mean, like, a holy priest? You got to be kidding me. You got to be joking me. There's no way that that like I, I'm a holy priest. Peter's saying, "Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Even as messed up as as you may think that you are, you're." A holy priest. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you're a holy priest. Now, what, what, what were some, some key um, characteristics of a priest, right? And if you think about Old Testament priests, they were chosen by God, right? They were uh, a part of a particular lineage, part of a particular tribe, right? Then they, they were called to holiness. They were called to live lives of holiness, and they made sacrifices. These are the characteristic of a, characteristics of a priest, right? Doesn't that sound like us, in a way? Chosen by God. Part of a lineage, which is Jesus Christ is our lineage. Called to holiness. Called to live a life that is different. A committed life to following God. And then we make sacrifices, and he even goes on to talk about sacrifices here in just a minute. But he says, he says You're holy priest. Not, not only are you part of the work that God's doing, you're part of the, the, the temple, but you're also the priest for the temple. Man, Peter, wow. I, 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 you know, sometimes I think that we, we, we don't do that enough. You know, when we think about what God has done and how He's transformed us. And how he looks at us as the righteousness of his son because we trust in, in what he did on the cross for us. When we look at that and we don't really think of God looking at us that way, but he really does. He really does. He looks at us as integral in his kingdom, he looks at us as, as his holy priest for this temple that he's building. And if that doesn't cause you to fall down on your face before God and just be in awe of him, see, I know how messed up I am, right? And when God's word calls me a holy priest, I go, wow. Only God could do that. Only God could transform this nasty, filthy thing into a holy priest. Only God could do that. Peter's trying to encourage us here. He's trying to encourage these people here. I know sometimes as your pastor, I don't always encourage you a lot, right? I mean, I, I... I say some things that are pretty hard. The truths are pretty hard that I, I preach a lot of times because we need to hear those. I mean, they're, they're they're purifying to us to hear those things. But we also need to be encouraged by God's Word too. And here, we need to remember what, who our identity is and the fact that we are, we, are, we are holy priests and we are blocks in this wall that God is building with, with, with Christ as a cornerstone to line everything up. He says... Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We offer sacrifices. As priests, we offer sacrifices. What are our sacrifices? I think, I think uh, holy living is one of them, right? I know you, we, we mess that up, right? I know we, we all do that. We mess it up sometimes, but but... And well, we do our best to follow Christ and live holy lives. And, and that's, our, that's our spiritual sacrifice. When we come in here, we sing praises to God. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we genuinely got our, our hearts fixed on Jesus and not everything else that's going on in the world. Spiritual sacrifice. Even coming to a church on Wednesday night when it's cold outside. that's a spiritual sacrifice. We're called to, to sacrifice our bodies, and, and a lot of times we do that by saying, you know what, I may not feel good, but I'm going anyway because I want to get close to God. I want to be reminded of who God's called me to be. And, and I believe that is a spiritual sacrifice. When we share the gospel, when we talk to somebody about how good God is and how he transformed us, and now he calls me a holy priest, And people come to knowledge of Jesus Christ as a result of that. Man, what a spiritual sacrifice that is. When when, when we pray for each other, we lift each other up in prayer and say, Man, I love you. I'm praying for you. And and let me help bear bear your burdens, you know? I mean, that is a spiritual sacrifice. Doing these things that God has called us to do, we know that we're supposed to do them, you know? And as messed up as they are, as many times as I do them the wrong way and as many times as I neglect them, it says they're acceptable before God. Now, why are they acceptable? It ain't because of anything I did. It ain't it got nothing to do because because I did something good today. I helped an old lady across the street. It ain't got nothing to do with that, okay? It's got everything to do with this son Jesus who is the cornerstone. And we're lined up to him and we, we've our attention is focused on Him. And every single thing that we say that is good in us is only good in us because of Jesus Christ. I mean, Christ Himself said, There's, no, there's not one good except for my Father who is in heaven. And that's the way we need to look at ourselves, man. We need to say, you know what? The only, thing I, the only reason I do anything that's halfway decent in this world is because Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of my life. And because of that, God says the things that I do in in, in praise to him, in in honor of him, in spiritual sacrifice to him, they're acceptable sacrifices. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that my spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God. It says, I am placing a cornerstone. He's quoting from Isaiah here. I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem. Chosen for great honor. Once again, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Who's the cornerstone? Jesus Christ. Placed in Jerusalem. Chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Now, I like that word, disgraced. That's why what, that's what I, I didn't read it, disgraced. I, wrote, I read it, disgraced. I just like that, Right? Y'all are getting it, right? Disgraced. The thing about it is, is that what he's saying here is that that if you trust in him, then your eternal security is there. The fact that that, that you are part of this temple that God is building, you are part of this holy priesthood. And and Isaiah is pointing out here that, that Jesus Christ was chosen for great honor. And he says anyone who puts his trust in him will never be disgraced. Look at what it goes on to say. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, for those that reject... Now, remember it says up here that that he was rejected by people. For those that reject him, we still have people that are rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting his truth, rejecting God's word that was given here for us to be able to understand more about the character of God, rejecting Jesus Christ. For those who reject him... The stone that the builders rejected has now the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the, the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that makes them fall. So they're trying to go about life and they're trying to, to do their own thing, and they've rejected Jesus, right? And even though they've rejected Jesus, they can't help but to trip over Jesus. Have you noticed that? I mean, that's what Peter's saying here. Peter's saying that that what happens is they they run across something that reminds them of who Jesus is and they want to reject that. They want to ignore it. They don't want to pay attention to that's really Jesus speaking to them, reaching out to them, grabbing their attention, and they just keep tripping over it. They're trying to walk through life with their their back turned to Jesus and they keep tripping over Jesus every single day. They keep trying to ignore him, but they keep tripping over him. It's it's, this... It it's commonplace, you know what I mean? As much as as people in the media and, and 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 the news they try to reject Jesus, it's like they keep tripping over him. You know what I mean? They 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 try to they try to take Christ out of Christmas and they just can't do it. You know what I mean? They keep tripping over him. They keep trying to reject him and turn their back on him, but they, they just can't. Because he's always there and his presence is always real, and they just it's a stumbling block to them. I I I hope and I pray that, that, that people will recognize, you know, at, at Christmas time especially, that they will recognize Jesus Christ as being the cornerstone. Jesus Christ as being the reason that everything that we have is the way that it is. It's because of Jesus Christ. And you know, you know people that are atheists and they try to go through Christmas time. And what do they do? They keep tripping over Jesus. They want to ignore him. They want to pretend like he's not real. And, and at the same time, they keep tripping on him. And they cannot help but to recognize that, man, there's something going on here. And these people that are following Christ are not suffering from some kind of mass delusion. that this Christ that they talk about is real. Because they live these transformed lives. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a second. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. So they meet the fate that was planned for them. Eternal separation from God. When you reject Jesus, that's exactly what happens. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. He says in verse 9, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Just like Christ was chosen. You are a chosen people. Set out for a purpose. You are royal priests. Now he goes on. He doubles down again and says, not only are you priests, you're royal priests. So not only are we building a temple, but we're building a palace as well. He says, you're royal priests. A holy nation. God's very own possession. He goes on to say that, that, that you're a holy nation. The people that you're a part of, you're part of one people now. You've got a new family now. You've got a new identity now. You've got a new lineage now. You're part of a nation. God's very own possession. So what are, what are possessions? Are things that you treasure. Things that you treasure, right? God treasures me. I'm his possession, something that he says, "Now this is mine. You can't have this. This belongs to me. Wow. How, how often do you stop for a minute in the middle of, of you know, unwrapping gifts on, on Christmas morning, You you got all these things that you're being given, these gifts, and you pause and think, I'm treasured by God? So much so that he gave me a gift, his son Jesus Christ, so that I, I could forever be in the presence of God. He didn't have to do that. He's God. He's in his presence. You know what I mean? But for us, for him to treasure us in such a way that he calls us to repentance, he calls us and, and, and Christ died for us so we might be able to have the righteousness of Christ. That he treasures us that way? Oh, man. What a humbling thought, isn't it? What an amazing concept that, that we're God's own possessions. You know, I think that when we think about these things, I think it changes the way we act. I think it changes the things that we think about. I think it, I think it just, it has this ability to, to do some things to us that that, man, we just, you know, we just feel like, we're lost and we're miserable and things are just, just terrible around us and we're not doing anything right. And then we hear something like, we are treasured by God. The fact that the master of the universe, the one that created everything that we know in existence with just his words, that he listens to us. Man, yeah, it makes me feel this low, but man, it also makes me feel like I've got Christ in me. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives within me. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. In your Bible, I don't know if you got a different translation, may say, so that, so that. So we got all this stuff going on. We're a royal priest. Part of a temple. Part of a palace. Making sacrifices to God that are acceptable to God. We're his own possessions. So that. So that. This is where it gets hard, right? I have a responsibility here. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. We sing a song sometimes called Marvelous Light. Your translation may say that. Marvelous Light. He's called us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Look at verse 10. Quoting again from the Old Testament. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy. Now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. we got all these things that, that God has said about us. And man, it builds us up and it makes us feel, man, like, like just precious in God's sight. And that's a wonderful thing to feel. And that's an amazing thing to feel. But how selfish is it if we keep that to ourselves? How selfish is it if we, if we see ourselves in this light and we see that, I mean, what a great thing it is that God has called us this, but if we just keep it to ourselves and we don't want other people to experience what we have experienced, if we don't want other people to be God's treasure, how selfish is that? God rescued me so I could tell people that he rescued me. I became God's possession, his chosen people. Called to these things so that I could go and tell people that they too are chosen. That they too can have the righteousness of God. They too can be the treasure of God. They too can be royal priests. But he goes on to say, not only are you supposed to say it, but you got to do it too. you got to do it too. Because it's one thing to, to, to give lip service to God and talk about how good God is, but it's also another thing to live it. He he says, "Don't, don't live like you're tempted to live. Don't do that. He says, you know why? Because you're mine. You're my treasure. He says, if you do that, your neighbors that are around you, I know you feel like foreigners, and I know you feel like, man, nobody likes you where you are because you're different than them, okay? I know that. And I know that they're going to persecute you because of that. I know that they're going to hate you because of that. I know that they're going to reject you because of that. I got it, okay? But you still got to live godly lives. you still got to live godly lives because when they see that in you, that's what changes people. That's what helps them to see God is what they see in you. You're part of that temple. So when they're looking at the temple, they're looking partly at you. We sometimes want to isolate ourselves away and say, well, don't look at me, look at God. You know what I mean? And I understand in humility terms that that's a great thing to do. But in the same token, we have to recognize that people are looking at us as Christ followers. They're looking at the people that come to church on Wednesday nights and they're going, what do I see in them? What do I see in them? Are they living what they talk about? Are they being obedient the way that they're supposed to? Or is it just lip service to God? Peter's telling him, he says, don't do that. Live lives worthy of this calling. Among your unbelieving neighbors, he said, they're not going to get it. They're just going to see something different in you. He says, when they see your honorable behavior, and then they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Talking about them coming to repentance. When they see who you are, when they see how you behave, he says, and you're going to lead them to Christ, and they're going to see what's different in you. And you tell them about Christ, and Christ is the reason that it's different, because He's the cornerstone of everything that, that you're about. They're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when He judges the world, they'll be able to bring Him great, great honor, because they have repented and come to Christ. And that's what it's all about. I know we like to, to hear these good things about God has called us to, our identity in Christ, and those are good things. But you got to understand that when you, when you recognize that, 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 that these are amazing things that God has called you to be, then you got to be those things. That there's a responsibility that falls into your court where you go, you know what? This is who God's called me to be. i got to find myself, my identity in that person that God's called me to be. We can't just isolate the two. We can't say, this is what I believe and this is who I am. No, they're the same. They're the same. And Peter says, I know that you live in a rough spot. I know it's difficult where you live. I know that you endure trials. you got to do it anyway. you got to do it anyway. you got to live these honorable lives so that people will come to Christ. And one day they too will give him honor when they stand in front of him when he judges the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. God, and I am so in awe of what you have done in my own life. I am so overwhelmed by how incredibly good you are and how you could take a wretched soul like me and you could transform me. God, it's amazing. Your your grace is absolutely amazing. God, but... I just praise you for the identity that I have in Christ. And, and I, I praise you for who you've called me to be. And I praise you for the fact that I am treasure in your sight. And that, that's an amazing thing. But God, I know, I know as, as one of your holy priests, as one of your royal priests, God, that I have a responsibility to reflect you, to reflect your glory. And I pray, God, that the, 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 as Christ lives in me, I pray that that light would shine before the world. You have called me out of darkness and into the light. And God, I pray that that marvelous light would shine through me. God, it make an impact on this world. Every single Christian. Now, that should be our prayer. That should be our desire. So if some, somebody tonight, maybe, God, you've awakened them to how, how you love them, and, and they are precious to you, I pray that they would just fall in humility before you and say thank you. Now, for those that, that haven't lived as you called them to live, and they know that before their neighbor's, God, they haven't shown you honor. And because of that, they're fearful that, that they, they, they may not have done the right thing so that those people might come to repentance one day. Well, God, I pray that, that they would come in repentance to you. And God, I pray that you would just change them. I pray that they would submit their lives to you fully and, and you would change them so that, God, they can reflect your glory and your honor. And then they too, they too can be royal priests, that they too would come into your kingdom be, too be part of this temple with Christ as the cornerstone. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do a great work. I pray that you would move in people's hearts and lives right now. And I pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?